The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Acts chapter number 15, and we're going to learn from the Word of God. As Brother Michael started out this morning in Galatian, he was dealing in Galatians with what Paul is dealing with here in Acts chapter number 15. And so we're going to read this again. Remember, this is a continuation from last week. And so we're going to jump right back in to where we started, and even your notes and your worship guide have uh, the first point and so forth filled in. Acts chapter 15 and verse number 1, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas, they being the church there at Antioch, determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phineas and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. Isn't it a wonderful thing when you hear of God changing people's hearts from darkness to light, amen, uh, bringing salvation to their hearts. In verse number four, and when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all the things that God had done with them, with them, don't miss that. Verse number five, but there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And uh, the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there, were, uh, there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made his choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye, why tempt ye God, to put a yoke upon the necks on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord for the simplicity of the gospel. Then, verse number 12, all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and what wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to open up your word. You've blessed our hearts today with already your wonderful works. We again rejoice in what we have just read. And we ask that, Lord, for those that have gathered together as your people, we pray that you would encourage us in the faith, that you would cause us to grow closer to one another and closer to you. And Lord, would you brighten our witness today as a result of being here? And then, Lord, I pray for those that might not yet know you. They've not yet accepted the, the truth of the gospel. And I pray that you would help them, that you'd open it up and help them to understand uh, their condition before you as lost and in desperate need of a Savior. And we pray that you'd bring them to salvation today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. 
As we learned last week, as the church grows, as we've seen throughout the book of Acts, and especially over the last couple chapters, God has been growing his church, and he's been growing it in some, um, uh, in some key areas, up in Antioch of Pisidia, all across Cyprus. He's been growing it in Lystra, Iconium, and down in Derby. He's been doing a wonderful work, but as Paul and Barnabas finish up their two-year missionary journey and come back to Antioch of Pisidia, their home church, the Bible helps us to understand that there is a confrontation, there is a spiritual attack that happens against the gospel. All throughout Antioch, Lystra, Iconium, and in Derby, we find that Satan has been trying to cancel the messengers. He's been trying to come against the messengers of the gospel, been running them out of town, and he has caused them to, to be stoned. And there's all sorts of spiritual attack on the messengers physically. But as we come to Antioch, there is an attack upon the message of the gospel. And we find that Satan tries to attack the advancement of God's church either by canceling the messengers or by corrupting the message of the gospel. And as this spiritual attack has been happening, we find that there is a church there in Antioch that is strong in the faith, that they're rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they're not blown about by every wind of doctrine that comes along. They're strong in the faith, and we find that the spiritual attack that they begin experiencing as a church together causes them to come closer together and be drawn closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. It does not drive them apart. And friends, we learned last week that there are times where a spiritual attack can come against the gospel within a church body, and we can find that that attack will cause people, the believers, to be driven apart. And we want to be like the church of Antioch. We want to be drawn closer together because don't you know it that the year 2020 and the year 2021 has been a year where Satan has been attacking the advancement of the gospel. And I rejoice in the truth and in the fact that though Satan has tried to scare the church with death, that the church has in many ways been drawn closer together. I know that's true for Grace Baptist Church. I've also heard how the spiritual attack has caused churches to shut down and has caused believers to be disillusioned and it's caused believers to find petty things to be upset with one another about. And we realize that even in this year of attack, we find that Satan is either trying to uh, cancel the message, uh, messengers or corrupt the message of the gospel and how important it is to allow the spiritual attack to drive us closer together. That can only happen as we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. Don't you believe that this morning? Amen. And so this morning we want to remember and just take note from the church of Antioch of Pisidia how we are to stay faithful and stay focused through the, um, the attack that would come against us. And you know, this attack does not just come on the church as a corporate body. This attack comes on you on Monday as you go into work. Satan wants to, um, to discourage you. Satan wants to silence you. Satan wants to cause you to be despondent in the state. Satan wants you to be overcome with temptation. Satan wants you to be in shackles to sin, even though you're a believer. He wants to grip you with guilt. Satan wants to do that. This is all spiritual attacks that either can drive us apart, cause us to be isolated, uh, cause us to draw away from the Lord Jesus Christ, Oh, that the spiritual attack would uh, help us to run back to Jesus Christ and to one another. Notice the attack on the gospel just as a way of review in verse number 1. We find there in verse number 1 of chapter 15, there were certain men that came down from Judea, from the Jerusalem area, and began to teach uh, another gospel. They began to teach that salvation is not just by faith 
uh, 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 in Jesus Christ alone by the grace of God, they began to teach that you needed to be circumcised in order to, in order to be saved. And they, they actually say it there, without circumcision, without this physical work, you cannot be saved. Without this physical good work, you cannot be saved. And so they began to teach another gospel. The setting of this attack was there in Antioch of Pisidia, Paul and Barnabas' home church. But also, I want you to notice, the setting of the attack was uh, there were people that came down from a very respected church, a sister church, if you will, and they brought this doctrine. They were members, or they were a part, loosely, of that church there in Jerusalem, and they brought a doctrine that the church of Jerusalem did not believe. They brought a doctrine that the church of Antioch did not believe. And so they began to preach this, and we later on find out in Acts 15 and verse 24 James, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, says this, For as much as we have heard, through the grapevine, we have heard that there are certain which um, went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. And James didn't know about this. There were some that, that went up from the church of Jerusalem and began to teach this doctrine there at Antioch of Pisidia. We just need to be reminded that oftentimes false doctrine creeps under the surface and goes under the, uh, they try to stay hidden from spiritual leadership that is given to the churches by God according to Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 11 and 12. And so there were false brethren, as Paul says in Galatians 2 and verse number 4, they crept in unawares, and that's exactly how false doctrine comes into a church. It creeps in unawares, and so that behooves us to test and try the spirits and see whether they be of God. And can I get an amen there? We need to be very discerning. That's why we need to keep on the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, we need to be very discerning and just be constantly aware that Satan wants to corrupt the message of the gospel, yes, even at Grace Baptist Church, and yes, even in our city. So how important it is for us to be aware and to be on guard in these days. But the severity of the attack, they were, they were threatening the very core of the gospel. They were saying that you needed to add something to Jesus in order to be saved. And how many of us understand this morning, we can't add anything to Jesus in order to be saved. He doesn't need added to. Jesus is sufficient for our salvation. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Faith in Jesus Christ alone is what gives us salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, not of baptism, not of communion, not of church attendance, not of being a religious person or being a better person than the next guy, not of works, lest any man should boast. If your salvation, if the reason you go to heaven is because you have worked for it, you have reason to stand before God and boast of the reason you're there. There will be no boasting in the presence of God. You are not there. You will not be there because of your own good works. You cannot be there because of your own good works. Only by the works of the Lord Jesus Christ can we be saved. In fact, this whole matter of circumcision uh, that was going on in the Old Testament was a picture pointing forward to what Jesus Christ would do spiritually to our hearts and how he would circumcise the, uh, uh, and remove the sin of our hearts. Uh, Colossians 2 and verse 11 in whom also ye are circumcised, in whom being Jesus Christ also ye are circumcised, with the circumcision made without hands in the putting off of the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And so what they were coming back and saying to these new believers of this church 
church up there in Antioch is you need to add to Jesus Christ. You need to do a physical work. You need to add works to Jesus Christ. You know what? That's still being taught today all across the world. You need to be a good person. You need to add good works to Jesus Christ in order to be saved. You cannot add to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ alone, when we place our faith in him, he circumcises our heart. He removes the sin in our heart and he places it in the depths of the deepest sea as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us and praised the Lord for that. And so you see this attack was going on against the message of the gospel, against the core of the gospel. And if Satan can confuse the message of the gospel, he can bring many people to hell. Don't you believe that? And all across our world, people are wondering, uh, is Jesus Christ the only, pers- um, the only way to heaven? All oh, that seems like such a narrow way. And there's so much confusion around the message of the gospel. It behooves us to be very, very clear and to stand very, very strong with the message of the gospel in our day. Don't give up on, on preaching and teaching and declaring it to your friends that salvation is by faith, through grace, and Jesus Christ alone. For by grace are you saved through faith And then not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I'm thankful this morning that Jesus is still holding out and he's still waiting to come back. The Bible says in in 2 Peter 3 and verse number 9, the Lord is not slack, he's not negligent concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward and not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance and though there are many who want to confuse the message of the gospel god still declares he is willing that all would come to repentance they all would come to the point of believing the gospel and so that leads us to how does antioch deal with this corruption of the gospel message how is antioch as a church going to weather this spiritual attack how do we as a church weather a spiritual attack on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? How do you weather it as maybe someone would come in and, and teach only these people can be saved and only a person that hasn't committed certain sins can be saved? How do you weather this attack on the gospel? So notice in verses 2 through 6, the action of the church there at Antioch, first of all, they sought counsel. They sought counsel. Isn't that a good thing? Notice in verse number on two, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and no, uh, no small dispu- uh, disputation. Now, notice Dr. Luke was a, was a man that used this often. Uh, if he was trying to, to make a big point and say something was kind of a huge blow up, he'd say it was no small dissension. Kind of, kind of understated the way that Dr. Luke would uh, write and the Holy Spirit would allow his personality to come through. I always loved that when reading through the book of Acts and also in in the, in the book of the Gospel of Luke. So no small dissension. In other words, this was big. This was a big problem that was blowing up there. This was causing all the eyes of the church to be looking on. So there's no small dissension and disputation with them. And then here's what the church did. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go to Jerusalem. What were they doing? They're seeking counsel. Okay, we're going to go down to the pastors and the elders down in Jerusalem. We're going to talk about this because this is a problem that seems like it's not going away here. And we need some, uh, we need some help. We need some insight. And you know that's no different than what happens even today uh, among pastors and among churches. Uh, here's, a, here's a theological issue. And we need, to, we need to break this apart. We need to try to understand this. And what do you think? And, and allow the Holy Spirit to work through that counsel. And so they sought counsel. They determined that Paul and Barnabas, they assigned Paul and Barnabas like the Holy Spirit had sent them out of Antioch. Here again, the uh, the church together is saying, we're going to send Paul and Barnabas down to get the right answer. Now, 
Likely, Paul and Barnabas, I shouldn't even say likely, they did know the right answer, but they still sought counsel in this situation that was causing a division there in the church of Antioch. Now, this is important to understand. This is a matter of practical church, uh, church relations and practical church uh, uh, understanding that the church of Jerusalem was not over the church of Antioch. These were autonomous churches. They were self-governing. Uh, the church of Antioch had the ability to de determine this out and to come to a resolution on their own, but they sought counsel willingly. There was no presiding authority that was there at the church of Antioch. They were a sister church. Uh, obviously, the gospel had spread from Jerusalem, so it was wise for them to go back to Jerusalem and to seek help from their partners in the gospel. The Bible tells us, Proverbs 11 and verse number 14, that where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Let me ask you this. What spiritual question in your life right now or spiritual issue or besetting sin are you coming up against that would do you well to seek out spiritual counsel? There is no shame in seeking out spiritual counsel. There is no shame in looking to another, another a spiritual man, a man this morning and seeking out someone to help you through a situation. There's no shame in saying, hey, I have a, a besetting sin that I, I've, I've been wrestling with for years upon years, and I need some counsel through this. I've tried on my own, and I need some counsel through this. There is no shame in that. There's no shame in saying, I don't understand this from the Scriptures. I hear what someone else is saying, but I need some spiritual counsel and to uh, help out. And that's exactly what they did. They sought counsel. But notice in verse number three, they cooperated with joy together. And because we see in verse number three, and being brought on their way, now say the next three words with me, by the church. Now isn't this a sweet picture? I love little nuggets in scripture. But here it is. They've assigned Paul and Barnabas. I don't know what day they went down there, whether it was a Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. I don't know what day of the week it was that they started out their journey down to Jerusalem. But the church gathered together and the church started on the way with them. They were engaged in this thing together. There was a, a group at the church that was saying, hey, we're rooting for you. We're behind you, Paul, as you go down there. We're praying for you. And they, they had such a connected heart with Paul and Barnabas as, as these preachers and as their emissaries down to the church of Jerusalem to, to solve this issue, to get this question answered and get counsel that they walked with them in the way. You know what? That's a sweet picture. That's a sweet picture of unity within the body of Christ. That's a, that's a sweet picture. How, how, how do we know uh, that, there, uh, that there, there was unity within them? They wanted to be together. When, when we are struggling with unity within a, a body, there's going to be a desire to stay apart from one another. But when there is unity, you can't, you can't keep us from being, um, being together. We want to be together, even if it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to take off work and to, to, um, to be together and um, go on the journey together. They did this. They cooperated with joy, and they went with them on the journey uh, part of the way. They brought them on their way. They started them on the way. What a sweet spirit that is demonstrated by the Church of Antioch. We want that sweet spirit, church, don't we? We want that sweet spirit. We want to always cultivate that unity of being together and enjoying one another's company and being engaged in, in the work of God together and being engaged in the spiritual attack together. Being together no matter what. And that's what was going on here. Notice in verse number three, as Paul and Barnabas and the others that they designated to go with them, as they came through Phoenix and also through Samaria, 
Do you know what they did? They were publishing to all the other believers. They're publishing the wonderful works of God, the works that God had done with them. And they are bringing, notice verse number three, and they cause great joy unto all the brethren. They cause great joy unto all the brethren. Do you know that something? You cannot cause joy in someone else's life if you're not living with joy. And you know how often in the midst of spiritual attack, in the midst of life's challenges, in the midst of difficulties at work, that it drains joy out of every single part of our lives. And you know what's amazing to me? Though they were in the middle of spiritual attack, literally the church has some friction in it. There is joy in these believers who have been sent out of that church and they're giving joy to everyone else. How are they doing that, friends? They're focusing on God. They weren't focused. They weren't going through Finnis and, and Samaria uh, retelling all the problems that were going on up at Antioch and Pisidia. Oh, you wouldn't believe it. These people just came down from Jerusalem and they started uh, speaking this stuff that was false doctrine and you just wouldn't believe it. They weren't all consumed with that. They were consumed with what God was doing. And friends, we need to stay consumed with what God is doing in our lives and in the world. And that will bring joy. But I also want to remind us, the fruit of the Spirit is love. You know something? You can't have joy without the Holy Spirit being in control of your life. And you know what? You'll likely not focus on Jesus. You'll focus on the problems in your life if you don't have the Holy Spirit ruling in your life. If you're not submitted to the Holy Spirit of God, there is going to be a great lack of love and a great lack of joy how many joyless christians go out into the workplace on monday and people wonder what did church do for you they come into a midst and they say what is church doing for them oh that we'd have the joy of the lord even in the middle of spiritual attack and jesus christ alone through the power of the spirit can give us the joy that we need to exhibit before a lost world. Hey, there is joy in serving Jesus. There's joy in following him. It's not like sucking on lemons. It, it's a joyful thing. The Bible says in Nehemiah 8 and verse number 10 that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And oh, how we need to be strengthened by the joy of the Lord. And they exhibited that even in the middle of spiritual attack. And so they arrived at Jerusalem. And verse number four, what did they continue doing down there? Hey, do you know what God's done? Do you know what God's done over the last two years? They did not start off with, you wouldn't believe what's going on up in Antioch. And how didn't you know that these guys were sent out from down here and left from down here? Why didn't you send a, a, a courier ahead to warn us of these troublemakers that, that came up our way and are causing all sorts of trouble in the church of Antioch? No, no, no. Look at verse number four. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all the works that God had done with them. So they just gave another report, just like they'd given up in Antioch of Pisidia. They gave another report. Here's what God did over the last two years. What an amazing thing. And so everyone's together. The Bible says the, the church, they were received of the church and the apostles and the elders. So everyone is together in what would seem to be an open meeting as they got together with Paul and Barnabas and also the others from the, um, the church of Antioch and they reported on their gospel tour. Now, I just want to again remind you as we think of missionary reports and so forth, notice how they reported. It was full. They reported all the works of God. They, it was faith-inspiring. It focused on God. You know what? When we focus on ourselves, it's not very faith-inspiring. 
But when we think about what God has done, it is very uh, encouraging to our faith. Even like we heard this morning, and I am most certain we're going to hear again tonight, it will be most encouraging to our faith. You want to build your faith? Be here tonight. Allow God to show you that he is not done working in the world. He is still building his church everywhere around. In fact, I meant to share this earlier, but you know, I was encouraged last night uh, to be able to preach to a group of in, uh, Indian believers in, on Zoom last night, 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock. They all gathered together. It was, it was Sunday morning at 7.30 in the morning. And you know what? It just reminded me, God is building his church, continuing to build his church in India. And what a great, uh, I, I so enjoyed being there and the connections that it gave. But one of the pastors over said, would you please come on preach on Zoom? We tried it earlier last year. It didn't work. Zoom's gotten better and their connection over there has gotten better. And boy, it was just so encouraging to hear them sing again and just have a service and to be able to preach the word of God. You know what I preached to them? I preached to them that Jesus Christ is building his church. The same thing we preached on Vision Sunday. Preached to them and you know God's building his church over there. And I said, don't be enamored with America. God has placed you there in, in India. Continue to believe God for his promise and what he's doing there. He's building his church, and they were just saying, listen, God's building his church in Cyprus. God's building his church in, in uh, Iconium. He's building his church in Antioch of Syria. He's building his church in Lystra, Derby. God is doing it. What an amazing thing. And they were inspiring the faith of those believers there in Jerusalem. But do you notice it was a humble, humble report. And friends, may we never forgot, uh, forget that we are not we are not the reason that people are coming to Christ. It is God working through us. We are laborers together with God. And maybe, maybe that's, that's some of our, our issue in our lives. Is we get so focused on us doing the work. Maybe that's why the, the fear that we have to speaking the gospel to a coworker or inviting them to Easter Sunday is because we think it's all about us. Friends, seriously, tomorrow before you go to work, would you commit yourself to God and say, God, would you use me? I'm delivering myself. I'm committing myself to you. Use me as you please. Give me the words to speak and I will speak them. I, I know it's not about me. Lord, I have nothing to offer anybody. And so they declared to them, God worked with them. But this report aggravated some in the midst. Okay, you have this open gathering of, of the church and the apostles and the elders, the pastors there. And uh, there's some people that are aggravated. Notice in verse number five, but there rose up, say that with me, but there rose up. Once again, don't go to sleep on me now. Let's not do that. Once again, good and loud, but there rose up. Now, I want you to notice there, this word rose up as they, they stood up and, and spoke. Now, uh, most of the time in a gathering like this, it, it's kind of, it is two-way, more than you realize, more than you realize. I'm going to give a preacher tip here. More than you realize is your faces communicate a lot. They, sometimes they communicate confusion. Like, what in the world is pastor saying? Other times they, they communicate Yes, amen. Sometimes they communicate, will this guy get done already? Uh, you know, they communicate. So the, preaching is very, very two-way, more, more than we realize. But even so, you'd understand that it might get a little bit awkward a couple years back. I remember, uh, I think it was like uh, one of our big to-do Sundays. I remember a guy standing up uh, back in this section. We were honoring the police on that 
that day. You remember that? And the guy stands up. You know, it's just kind of an awkward feeling all of a sudden. You know, this is just not, not a proper thing. I remember that happening. I remember Pastor Shaw, he was preaching along, uh, kind of on the same topic, and someone got up and, and, and told him he was a liar and so forth and stormed out and, and whatnot. Uh, it's kind of an awkward thing. Get that picture in your mind. This is what's going on there, except it was a group of people that were standing up and saying, hold up! We hear what you're saying, Paul and Barnabas, but you should have taught them that they need to be circumcised and keep the law in order to be saved. All of a sudden, things got really tense. I mean, now the spiritual attack is not just up in Antioch and Pisidia. Uh, it is here in, in this, uh, in this uh, uh, Jerusalem, and they rose up. Uh, not everyone's going to be excited about the work of God. You know that? Not everyone's going to be excited about the work of God. And uh, they said it was needful, it's uh, obligatory uh, for them to be circumcised and to keep the law. It is, we find over in Galatians 5, verse number 3, Paul writing out of this experience, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. He says, listen, hey, uh, I just want to encapsulate this. If you, if you have to be circumcised in order to be saved, you also have to keep the whole law in order to be saved. And how many of us understand we can't keep the whole law? The Bible tells us if we have offended the law in one point, we're guilty of all, and we are guilty before a holy God. Wow. When I think of the fact that Revelation 21 and verse number 8 tells me that it's not just the unbelieving, the abominable, the adulterers, and those that worship Satan, but it's all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. I realize very, very quickly God is not joking around about this. He is a holy God, and I stand before him as a sinful individual. And he helps us to understand that I cannot, I cannot lean on the law at all. If you're leaning on the law for your merit before God or for favor before God, could I implore you, could I encourage you to realize that it will not be good enough to get you to heaven. Good works are not the currency of heaven. If you go into, if you go into, and in fact, I'll just, because this is the, the experience, uh, if you go over to India and try to spend American money, it doesn't always work. Sometimes they just won't take it, right? Because it's not their currency. Uh, Bitcoin is, you know, a big thing right now. You can't go into just any store and spend Bitcoin, right? It doesn't work, right? Uh, because it's not the currency. Uh, many people look at, at, at good works as the currency of heaven. This is what is going to be going to buy my redemption before a holy God. No. It is not spendable in heaven. It's not spendable at the throne of God. Only the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses us from all sin. Only the blood, friends. It's by the blood that we've been redeemed. And it's only that way that we can be redeemed. So how, how they would be saved, Paul later on writes, to the Galatian believers, there's how they're going to, to be transformed and sanctified. And even for these believers up in, uh, up in Antioch and all these different places, uh, this doctrine that they were corrupting, the, the, the message of the gospel is also going to corrupt the way that they even looked at sanctification and growing in the Christian faith. And so this was a, a mess there, and these people have stood up in this open meeting down in Jerusalem, and they're declaring this. So now what's going to happen? I want us just to be real mindful here, that uh, these, these individuals were Pharisees. They knew, they knew a lot about the law. Uh, they also had a lot of traditions. 
that they, they subscribe to. Uh, the Bible says that they had believed, and I don't understand uh, completely how that, uh, how that all uh, transpires out, but they had believed, so they had, they, had, they had acknowledged who Jesus Christ was, but they were trying to add to Jesus Christ. And can I just encourage you this morning, be very, very careful that the Bible is a sole authority of your faith. They had added in the traditions of men, the, the words of men into the Bible. Jesus had taught while he's on earth that it's only through me. No man comes to the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so they had added in, and how careful we need to be not to hear what other people are saying, what the traditions of men are saying, and what they hand down to us, but what the Holy Word of God says to us this morning. This is the authority for your faith. This is what God is going to judge you out, not out of the traditions of men. And so the Bible says in Colossians 2 and verse number 8, Beware, be on guard, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments, the basic teachings of the world, and not after Christ. Oh, how we need to be so very careful. So very careful. This is exactly what's happening to these believers up in Antioch. They're hearing these men that are coming along and teaching the traditions of men. They're teaching extra stuff beyond the Bible and how careful we need to be. So notice what the church does. They considered this issue together. They considered the issue together. Verse 6, and the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. They attended to it. They got focused on it. And you see what we, we see here in this moment? The church, the New Testament churches, they're in Antioch, and the one down in Jerusalem are working together for the cause of the gospel. They're working together in harmony. And what a beautiful picture of how local New Testament churches like ours and others that believe and have like faith can work together for the faith of the gospel. Remember what Paul told the Philippian believers that we are to strive together for the faith of the gospel. Oh, that we'd have a heart to strive together like these two churches had a heart to strive together. And so this was a really wise action on the part of Antioch. They sought the council. They sent out these, um, these emissaries down to, uh, down to Jerusalem to seek an answer. And notice what the answer of the apostles was in verse number seven. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, men and brethren, and he began to talk about how that the gospel had gone to the Gentiles. Now catch this. Peter gives a testimony of God because notice what he says in verses seven through eight. He says the, the Gentiles believed the gospel and they received the Holy Spirit. They received the witness of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse number eight. And God which knoweth the hearts. Does God know your heart this morning? Some of you aren't. Yeah, right? God knows your heart. He sees exactly where you are. In fact, he sees your condition before him. Whether you're still lost in your sin or whether you're uh, saved and on your way to heaven, he, he sees your condition before him. He sees exactly where you are. But he says, God knoweth the hearts. And then notice, he bear wit them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. You know what? God does not give the Holy Ghost to those that have not trusted in him. Are you with me? He does not give the Holy Spirit to those that have not trusted. We find that in Corinthians, that those that are natural, are still lost in their sins, do not have the Holy Spirit of God. And so Peter very, very wisely stands up and declares them, listen, we know that they're believers because God has witnessed 
of that fact. He's witnessed their faith by giving them the Holy Spirit of God. They have the Holy Spirit just like we have the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 and verse number 9, but you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. He is none of his. And so Peter's first concern was, all right, all right, I want you to realize this is what God thinks about these Gentile believers. He gave them the witness of the Holy Spirit. And how many of us understand this morning that what God thinks about a person is what really matters? What God thinks about you is what really matters. How God sees you is what really matters. And so they had received the seal, the mark, the mark of God on their lives, the seal of the Holy Spirit of God. And what an amazing thing that that was. And then Peter continues to answer about the simplicity of the gospel. Look at verse number nine. And he put no difference between us as Jews and them purifying their hearts by faith. And he says, now, hey, hold on. Why are you tempting God? Why are you testing God in this matter? God's already declared by giving the Holy Spirit of God to these believers. Why are you testing? Why are you questioning whether God did a great work in their lives? We're all saved the same way. By faith through grace. There's not a different way for the Jews to be saved than the Gentiles to be saved. It's all the same way. We are saved from our sin by faith in Christ through the grace of God. And so he's just noting the fact that the gospel is very simple. Let's not get away from the simplicity of the gospel. And how important that was for them to hear the simplicity of the gospel and, and what was being preached to the Gentiles and how they had simply received it and received the Holy Spirit of God, which would dwell in them as a mark of them being saved and belonging to Christ. They needed to, uh, to understand and to reckon with as a group. And so he's using this as just a way to prove, listen, God did the work. God himself has put a stamp of approval on this situation. And you know, we can be we can be led away from the simplicity of the gospel. Satan wants to do that. 2 Corinthians 11, verse number 3, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. Beware. Beware. Remember what we said at the beginning. Satan either tries to cancel the messengers or corrupt the message. And corrupting the message is simply adding to, making it more complicated, making it not understandable. I like what our brother said this morning. It's simple enough for a child to understand. The simple gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so notice in verse number 12, this testimony and this declaration of Peter led to Paul's declaration. And here's what he says. He authenticates the gospel message. Look at verse number 12. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And so Paul notes that while he was preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, God was confirming that work through signs and wonders. He was confirming that work through miracles. We correlate that with Hebrews chapter number 2 and verse number 4. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and divers, different miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His will. And so how was God saying unto Paul, I'm in this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this work with you and through you. He affirmed it in this, these pagan lands with signs and wonders, with miracles, with healings that God did according to His will. 
And so as they are standing here in front of this church of Jerusalem and declaring this is what God has done, well, I'm telling you, these guys that have stood up and said, oh, oh you, can't, you can't be saved unless you're, you're circumcised and you keep the whole law, they've been set in their place in a biblical way, not in a nasty way, but just in front of them. God the Holy Spirit came to these people, and he's indwelling them. Uh, we saw God working in their lives. There's no difference between the Jews and the Greeks. They were all saved through the simple message of the gospel. And Paul says, and, and, to, and to top it all off, top it all off, God came through with signs and wonders, and he confirmed our preaching in their midst. So now what do you say to this? Now, the next time we gather together in the book of Acts, we're going to notice how God gives wisdom to James, the pastor of the church there, to stand up and say, okay, let's, let's bring this all together. But what I see here is here is a church up in Antioch that was threatened with a spiritual attack on the gospel, specifically the corrupting of the gospel message, the corrupting of the core of the gospel. You say, well, that seems like that's, you know, that's for someone else to worry about. No, that happens in our day all too often. With the proliferation of internet and books and media, the gospel is constantly under attack, friends. Constantly. It gets under attack in this church. And as a pastor, the Bible tells me, Acts 20 and verse number 28, that I am to, uh, to guard the flock, to watch over the flock. And there are times where I've had to say, listen, that doctrine's not welcome here. And if you're going to teach that doctrine, then you are not welcome here either. You say, that's, that's mean and that's, that's, that's so narrow and that's so fundamental. You know what? God has given charge to pastors to make sure that a, that a flock stays spiritually and, uh, and, uh, and keeps its integrity to the gospel, keeps its commitment to the gospel. That's something we get to do together. I urge you to see yourself in the midst of a spiritual attack against the gospel, but always allowing it to draw us closer to God and to each other and how important that is. And so we want to be like the church of Antioch. We want to Take the word of Jude in, in verse number three. Beloved, when I gave diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you to encourage you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. You and I have an obligation to contend for the faith. It does not say that we have an obligation to be contentious in the faith. It says that we are to contend for the faith. Now, sometimes people can get very contentious. Well, I have the right stand, and you get really grumpy about it. You know what? The Holy Spirit doesn't make us grumpy. Are you with me on that? Can we get an amen? We shouldn't, we shouldn't be grumpy. And we shouldn't be contentious. But we do have the obligation to stand and contend for the faith. To stand for the faith. And that, that's a responsibility that God lays on. Yes, me as a pastor, but he lays it on all of us. We should earnestly contend for the faith. So when spiritual attacks come, they're going to either divide us. We don't want that. Are you with me? We don't want that. We don't want divisions between believers. Well, I don't like the way the pastor dealt with that, that situation. Listen, God has given me a responsibility to deal, deal with that type of stuff. The, the false doctrine that comes into a church, God's given me a responsibility. I'll answer to God for that. Don't let it drive us apart. Let it bring us together to Jesus, because he's the one we're standing for, right? And to each other. Let it bring a sweet unity like we see them. They just wanted to be together. Hey, uh, let's go with Paul. Hey, I, 
hey, I hear that Paul and Barnabas are going down to Jerusalem on Monday morning at 8 o'clock. Would you come along? Let's bring coffee and donuts for them on the way. You know, that, that, that's the spirit I get as they, as they accompany them on the way. Let's have that sweet spirit as a church. Let's be like the church of Antioch that deals with problems. There will be problems. There is a Satan. And he is fighting against the church of Jesus Christ. He has promised that I will build my church. And how many of you understand, when there is movement forward, there's going to be opposition against that. And so we, we want to be together. And I love how the book of Acts just continues to, reaff- continues to reaffirm very practical elements of, of being a church and following after the Lord Jesus Christ and staying true to him no matter what happens around us. And he will continue to build his church. Here in Kettering and all around the world, he'll continue to build his church. But let's be like a church of Antioch. And so I ask you this morning, maybe you just simply pray in your, in your heart as a believer, Lord, um, there's no doubt that there's, there's going to be the spiritual attack. And I, I even sense that. But Lord, help, help me not to draw away, to isolate. Uh, forgive me for the times that I've got my nose been out of shape over something. Uh, help me to be drawn closer to you and be drawn closer to my church family, even through the midst of spiritual attack. Could we pray this morning? Would you bow your heads and have an attitude of prayer here this morning as we would just take time to talk to the Lord. And I'm going to encourage you this morning, if the Lord has just spoken to your heart or encouraged your heart, uh, to take and spend a few moments there right in your seat. And I'd uh, encourage you to even bow before the Lord if you can physically do that. We've learned much about the importance of bowing before the Lord and worshiping before Him. So if the Lord's working in your heart in any way, maybe you would say, I have let the spiritual attack affect my joy. I've been going through my life joyless, and perhaps this morning it would simply be a prayer, Lord, forgive me for not walking in the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to govern my life, because I've, I lack joy. I lack joy. The, the tests and the diverse temptations that have come into my life, uh, they've, they've been allowed to just steal and drain my joy. And I've been walking and going into work without joy. I'm not like those believers up there in Antioch. I don't go uh, through uh, to other believers and talk about the wonderful works of God. I talk about all the problems. I don't have joy. I don't have joy. Perhaps that would be how the Lord worked in your heart this morning. Maybe you'd say, Pastor, you know, I've, I've allowed some disagreement, some spiritual attack and disagreement. Uh, maybe on doctrine, but maybe on something less than doctrine to, to drive me away and cause me to be isolated. I'm not connected. I don't enjoy being with the the, the people of God, I, I come here on a Sunday, but I don't enjoy being uh, together with the people of God. It's just kind of the thing I do because I have to. I've allowed it to divide me from the people of God, not draw me closer to Jesus and his people. Maybe you'd confess that spiritual distance in your life. I also ask this, are you willing to deal with the spiritual attacks that come? Are you willing to stand in the battle? Are you willing to stand for the truth of God no matter who, who's opposing it? We need Christians today who are willing to stand and contend for the faith with the spirit of faith. As you pray this morning, would you allow me to talk to anyone here this morning that may not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior? You say, I, I've been trusting in my good works. I've been trusting in my being nice, being a good person, not being as bad as the next guy. But I've realized this morning that 
I am not saved. I am not on my way to heaven. My sins are not forgiven. I do not have standing before a holy God. I realized this morning that I need Jesus Christ to save me. Is there anyone like that this morning? I am not saved. And you'd be willing just to put up your hand with no one looking around. I am not saved. I do not know that when I die, I'll spend eternity in heaven. I don't have that confidence. Would you put up your hand? I won't point you out, but I'd certainly love to pray for you this morning. I do not have this confidence. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.